clumsily or random as a blaster. Do you enjoy pain? Pain don't hurt. Except this brain's out. You like Huey Lewis on the news? Do you enjoy knives? Oh, yes. You want to know us so we can get When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. Get them in the crosshairs and take them back. Their early work was a little too away from us. Like these morons on the internet like this Troy and Emery who have no idea what they're talking about. Try again. Nobody ever wins it. It's the Random Show with Troy and Emery. Hey everyone, welcome to the Random Show with Troy and Emery. The Random Show. I'm Emery. Hey, Emery. Damn, it seems like a week since I've talked to you. Uh, has it been a week? Wow, I th- we we were just talking like five seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on, you're supposed to, you're just uh, destroying the magic of the podcast. People don't know we actually <laughs> through the magic of the podcast. I have not talked to you. Yeah, people. We actually know. pre-recorded all of these podcasts like 12 years ago, and just guessed what the current events were going to be at the time, like those kids in that new Nicolas Cage movie. Yes. like We had a big uh, time capsule that we recorded all these podcasts. We buried it in the time capsule. We just dug it up and posted it on the Internet just now. So I knew that Michael Phelps was going to turn out to be a pothead. <laughs> you did call that. That was amazing. I didn't even know who the heck that guy was, but when you were talking about him, I just let you go. And uh, but you called it. you called it. God, that movie with Nick Cage looks awful, doesn't it? What's it called? Uh, pretty. Uh, it looks better than Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> Where he's a, I'm in banking. Yeah, that movie. I think anything that Nick Cage does now is just a joke. I don't know what he can do with his career. Maybe he should get in the ring with Mickey Rourke and wrestle. If he can never get back to his uh, Con Air body type. But uh, I highly doubt it. But you know what I did see the other day? I saw yeah. Vicky Christie Barcelona. Have you seen that yet? I have watched that uh, on DVD probably four or five days ago. Did you really? And? Yeah. What did you think? I really enjoyed it. Probably my, my favorite Woody Allen movie in ten years. Oh, he he definitely hit a home run with that one. I mean, you're right. It's, it's his best work in a while. But, my gosh, I hope Penelope Cruz wins that uh, Academy Award for Best Supporting. She did an awesome job. My one criticism of the film uh, was actually the narration, the character of the narrator, which you could tell from the writing standpoint, he wrote basically from Woody Allen's point of view, and he just hired some guy to do the narration in a Woody Allen style. And I, I could have done without it. I think they could have just taken a little bit more time to show the things that were being narrated, uh, and it would have made the the movie a lot more interesting. But I guess uh, he he didn't go that route. I wish he would have. You know, I kind of enjoyed the narration. Um, I mean, other than the fact that it was a unconnected narrator, you know, it wasn't like Wonder Years style where it was, uh, you know, an actual character in the movie. But you know, I kind of dug the narration. I mean, he didn't leave a whole lot for the audience to guess because you were he was pretty much telling you what the characters were thinking, but uh, I kind of dug it, you know, but I also dug the narration in The Wonder Years, I thought it's a nice touch, and I'm not a big fan of voiceover, but uh, his voice was pleasant, and 
you know, just the little comments, and I thought that was kind of the great thing about the screenplay for it, is the little details that Woody Allen put into it, like when they were riding along the bike, and he, you know, he would just throw in, you know, they went to go look for fresh berries to to make a jam that they were going to have for dinner that night, and I thought those were just nice little touches that just, you know, helped uh, make... But the, couldn't the, the Javier Bardem character just have easily said, we are going to look for fresh berries to make jam <laughs> for breakfast? Because like that detail could have been included in the dialogue. Because I think Woody Allen was afraid that the more he had Javier Bardem talk, the more women would just throw their panties at the screen. I mean, I'll have to admit, I was getting hot for Javier Bardem watching that movie. He was just, like, totally cool. I can understand why he could just get any woman that he wanted. And, you know, the funny thing is that I always, you know, the first thing I ever saw Javier Bardem in was No Country uh, for Old Men, and I just see him in that role, you know, and he's got that that bowl haircut, and and when I first saw him, you know, when he first made his appearance in uh, Vicky Christie Barcelona, I thought, holy shit, you know, he looks good, he's sexy, he's he's hot, and uh, I was definitely getting a stiffy. And then when he was talking, I thought, holy crap, you know, that's freaking alluring. But uh, and I think that's why he couldn't have Javier Barnum talk too much because girls would just be creaming their jeans in theaters all over the country. So it would not have been a problem for his character to have convinced you to go to the small town with him to make love. Oh no! Maybe we make love. <laughs> I would have, you know, I would have gone to a rest stop with him and found the dirtiest stall, and he could have, you know, done me anal in that thing. I don't care. He was that cool. But uh, I did. I enjoyed the movie. I thought, you know, I'm not a big fan of Scarlett Johansson's acting chops, but, you know, she was passable in this one. I mean, nothing great. But the lead, I think her name is Rebecca Hall. I thought she did a great job. Javier and Penelope Cruz was awesome. Penelope Cruz does Manic, Manic Psycho pretty well. And uh, it was, you know, definitely one of Woody Allen's best, in, like you said, in the last ten years. What do you think is Woody Allen's best film? What's your favorite neurotic Jew film? Probably Annie Hall. Uh, close second would be Crimes and Misdemeanors. And Sweet and Low Down is tied with Bullets Over Broadway, bringing up the rear. Wow. I think my list would be Annie Hall, definitely at the top. I think my number two is The Purple Rose of Cairo. I just I adore that movie. And then it would probably, I'd probably go Crimes and Misdemeanors, Mighty Aphrodite, and then Manhattan as my uh, top five Woody Allen. Um, yeah, but, you know, Woody Allen the last ten years, he's been kind of hit or miss. I haven't enjoyed that uh, Everyone Says I Love You. I thought it was just tripe. And when was it? No, Match Point. Match Point was okay. A uh, little different for Woody Allen. And uh, what was that movie he did where he was the director and he went blind? He had that psychosomatic blindness. Do you remember that one with Taya Leone? I, I do not. Oh. Oh. Well, that one wasn't that great either. But uh, I would recommend anybody out there, if you haven't seen Vicky Christie Barcelona, watch it. Um, but, you know. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Vicky Cristina Barcelona, sorry. That's my abridged version. Um, but I warn you <laughs> that if you do watch it, you will fall in love with Javier Bardem, male or female. So uh, if you have a problem with that, maybe you should watch it 
with it muted because it's his voice, his accent that kind of did it for me. So, I was also just downloading uh, some trailers from Yahoo Movie Trailers, their HD trailers, and they just put out the Inglorious Bastards trailer, the new uh, Quentin Tarantino film with uh, Brad Pitt. Did you see that yet? The trailer? I saw it that they uh, it was released last week. That's right. In fact, you're the one who told me about it. And what do you think? I think Brad Pitt is actually he's he's uh, I'm being pretty impressed with his acting chops. I mean, not that he I didn't think he was a good actor before, but I think the stuff he's done lately he's been pretty much hitting a home run with everything he's that uh, he's come out with lately. The trailer is interesting because it straddles a very fine line between giving you hope that it could be the most amazing war film or homage to period uh, war films ever made. Uh, But it also looks like it could be terrible. I mean, you know, I don't... The way I... When I was watching that trailer and the way I think of it, it almost seems an homage like Kill Bill was an homage to, you know, some of the... uh, uh, you know the Hong Kong action films. Chopsaki. Yeah, the Chopsaki films, and uh, you know, and this kind of looks like it's that kind of tongue-in-cheek homage to like films like The Dirty Dozen. Um, that uh, you know, and he's going to do it in his own Quentin Tarantino style. Uh, the main thing I didn't like about the trailer that I didn't realize is that Eli Roth is in the movie, and I don't I don't know what Quentin Tarantino has about that guy, what kind of stiffy he has, but he seems to like that guy, and he produces his uh, hostile movies and puts him in his own movies, but I just, I can't quite stomach Eli Roth. I don't think he's a great actor. I saw Cabin Fever. I saw that, yeah. I wasn't really into it. I don't really like that genre, and, uh... Yeah, I don't really understand the fraternity that they have going on, but hey, you know. I thought the fake trailer that Eli Roth did for Grossman House was pretty pretty cool. The uh which one, the Thanksgiving one? Thanksgiving, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh that was cute. I mean that was definitely uh a campy trailer and uh it wasn't bad. But, uh, yeah, I, I saw Cabin Fever, and I thought it had promise, and I thought, oh, this guy, you know, it's not bad for kind of a freshman effort. I don't think it was his first one. It might have been his sophomore effort, but had some promise, but then he just came out with the hostile crap, and it, that just kind of blew it for me, because then, you know, all that torture porn, I mean, anybody can make those films if you just get some good-looking girl who's willing to get naked and douse herself in blood. Unoriginal, and... But hey, Friday the Thirteenth. You are a beautiful young girl willing to get naked and douse yourself in blood. You can email the Random Show with Troy and Emery, <laughs> care of Champions of the Universe. Uh, we've we've got a role for you coming up. We've got a role for you in our bondage room. So uh, <laughs> please please apply. But American audiences seem to go for the the cheap the cheap horror slash film because the Friday 13th remake made $45 million uh, last weekend. So I don't know what that says for the American public, but that's such a bullshit term though. American audience. I hate when people throw around 
American audience and have to qualify the audience with its nationality. You know, because really, when you think about it, the American audience is the only audience that matters. You know, <laughs> is there a better audience? Is, is, no, seriously, is there a better audience I should be a part of other than the American audience? I don't want to be in the Japanese audience because, I mean, you've seen the, the, the crazy crap. Not even that, but I mean, like the the Suicide Club, the fetish porn that the they crazy, like, the crazy crap that they show on TV, the fact that you can buy used panties in a vending machine in Tokyo. I don't want to be a part of that audience. I don't want to be a part of like the Eastern European audience. I don't want to be a part of the the uh, the UK limey audience. You know. Uh, what about, What's wrong what, with the American audience? What about the um, French audience? And no, you're right because they like Jerry Lewis, so that disqualifies them right there. The Italian audience—they they seem to have a fine eye for cinema. I don't know. It's just like you said. You ask what's wrong with the American audience. I'll tell you what's wrong with the American audience. They go out in droves to see a Friday the Thirteenth remake, a Michael Bay production, and. You know, other good quality films that are out there aren't getting the the ticket sales, aren't getting the dollars. You know, the happy. This is this is what is truth about the American audience is that they go see movies and they've always gone to see movies. Friday the Thirteenth was on ten thousand screens. Milk or The Wrestler was maybe on half that, a third of that. But why was it only on a third of that? Because the studios knew that the. You know, it would be a waste of money because they couldn't fill the seats in even, you know, anything more than half of that. So, and it's true. I mean, if you try and put it out in more theaters, nobody's the American audience. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep using that term because I, I'm a part of it. We live in America, but the American audience isn't going to go out in droves to see that. And and we see the proof. I see the proof on Box Office Mojo every week. You know, we go out and, and watch Friday the 13th. We go out in droves for Marley and Me, which is sentimental drivel. Um, it's derivative at best. and But it's always good, been that way. I mean, it, it has always been that way I, in, right. in this and country. That's why, and that's why I characterize it as the American audience, because that's what they want to see. And so I'm sorry. You know, Yes, I'm a part of that audience, and it's probably – a gross general I, I don't even think it's a gross generalization I think it's you know it's a broad generalization but I don't think it's that far off and I every time when the numbers come out every weekend with you know the movies the good quality movies that come out and yes it's in smaller limited screens but uh, it's still true that uh, we you know the vast pub, majority of the public will go and cough up money for a uh, cheesy remake of a film that wasn't even that great to begin with, while good films that are still out there. And, you know, we are four days from the Oscars, which is the showcase of, Amer- you know, the American movie experience. Our, our talent and our, uh, you know, in the movie industry is on display. And, you know, half those movies, most of America haven't seen and could give a shit about. You know, uh, I remember when Chris Rock was hosting the Oscars a few years back, and he did a little uh, skit during the Oscars where he went to a movie theater and he was asking 
you know, he would he would ask like a black couple like what they saw, or ask them if they saw. I forgot what the movies were for Best Picture that year, but he would ask them if they saw it. You know, I think it was like uh, when American Beauty. I forgot what year, but take that. He said, you know, have you seen that? And, she, and they would be like, no. And he's like, oh well, did you see Saw too? Oh yeah, that movie was awesome. That was like the best. That was <laughs> the bomb, you know. And Chris Rock was obviously making fun of, but you know, unfortunately, it's true. You know, he was going out there, and it was a funny bit. Believe me, it was hilarious because he was saying, well, what do you think was the best movie of the year? You know, and they'd be like, oh yeah, Saw two or. Uh, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it was just stereotypical. And unfortunately, these people were playing up to the stereotype. And, you know, he might have had to gone to 20 people to find that couple to make his bit work. Or he might not have. I mean, we definitely can't know for sure. But I just thought that that was a, a biting commentary on the American audience. I'm sorry, Emery, but I'm going to say it. No, I, I, I see where you're coming from. The thing about the American audience is that it's a diverse audience. It's more diverse than any other audience in the world. So, I mean, uh, basically to surmise Ted Knight from Caddyshack, you know, the world needs ditch diggers too. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing about me commenting about, like, the Friday the 13th movie is, you know, the one screenplay that I have written was a cheesy horror film. So, but I also know that... Yeah. I could probably sell that because that's what the American audience wants to see. So, <laughs> you know, I figure I, in order to make it in Hollywood, if you write a cheesy horror film or a black comedy, and I don't mean black as in dark, I mean black as in for the black population, um, then you could probably easily sell your screenplay because Tyler Perry puts out a movie every other week, it seems like. And, uh, you know, he's making money doing the that. The funny thing is I was – I was talking to one of uh, one of our mutual screenwriter buddies uh, a few days ago, and he's working on a new screenplay. And he's basically plotted his entire screenplay based around uh, devices, proven devices that have worked in uh, basically terms of, of what sells. So he was going through each plot device that he was using. You know, uh, it, it was it was basically like a scene out of adaptation with uh, Charlie and Donald, where he was like, "All right, so." Uh, Torture sells really well. Uh, torture with like uh, teenaged, you know, age characters uh, showing a little skin. People seem to like movies where there is some sort of psychological aspect. Uh, and he was just going through each uh, device that he was uh, applying to it, to his movie, and he was, just, you know, basically based off of those things. I came up with a story, and I'm things going to write itself. It and I thought that was genius. Hmm. Are are you keeping this uh, screenplay top secret until it it actually is on the page? So you want to collaborate a little bit? I think I could help you because of all the plot devices. Oh no, no 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 no! This is not me. This is this is somebody else. Oh, this is okay. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. It should. Uh... I don't want to say his name because he might listen to this podcast and get mad. <laughs> okay. We'll, uh, we, we don't want to get a lawsuit and infringe upon his intellectual property there. But um, it seems for every 20 movies that are out there that come out, you know, they're derivative. They come up with, you know, depending on the genre, like for a romantic comedy, I, you can almost go through every single plot device, whether it's 
you know, there's the barrier to the relationship, whether somebody's married or somebody's ill or sick or got some disease, and then uh, something happens, whether it's the spouse dies or maybe even they're going to die because they have a monkey heart and uh, they find out the true meaning of love through that ending and or through that demise, and you know they go for their childhood sweetheart or the one that wasn't there who wasn't sick. So I think I could write a romantic comedy that way. You've oh, read my... I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> Usually starring Richard Gere and uh, Julia Roberts. So and some gerbils. <laughs> exactly. So are you excited for the Oscars coming up? I'm looking forward to them. I've it's a yearly thing that I that I do when I was growing up. I always watched them with my mom, and uh, we would you know sit around and feel intellectual for a, a couple hours, and it's it's a good time. I like the show. So you you enjoy the broadcasts? Do you feel it's a little long? Do you do you ever get a little antsy, testy by the time you know? I haven't watched the Oscars on the West Coast. In oh about I guess close to twenty years it's uh, I've been watching it on the East Coast which it usually ends about midnight on the East Coast and here on the West Coast I mean I think it starts at five and it'll probably end at uh, eight or nine o'clock um, so that's going to be a change watching the Oscars I didn't get a chance to watch them last year because I was working I, even though I was living on the West Coast but. Um, you know, when I was, I definitely, I mean, I enjoy watching the Oscars. Uh, I get caught up by the, you know, who's going to win. Um, I enjoy, depending on who's, you know, the presenter. I mean, for a great many years, it was Billy Crystal, and his usually his opening skit or uh, was quite enjoyable, and so was his opening monologue. Um, when Ellen DeGeneres did it, I thought she did a pretty good job. Uh, but... You know, I, I enjoy one of my favorite parts of the Oscar is the uh, you know the obituary part of the Oscars where they highlight everybody who's passed yeah. away. And you know what I always feel is weird is you know when you're going through that and they're showing the clips of the people who've died and you know they they play a sound bite and it seems like you know people will start kind of clapping and you'll get a smaller clap for some you know cinematographer some English cinematographer who died who nobody knew about. And he'll get like a smattering of a golf clap, and then you know. Yeah, where in, in reality it should be the sort of save all of your applause until the end. Exactly, type of deal. it should be quiet and save all your applause for the end. Because you know, this year, like when Paul Newman's images flash on the screen, I mean, he's probably going to get a standing O for that uh, when they do his, and I'm sure it's going to be towards the end. But then you feel bad for all the other people that died. You know, it's like, well, they're all equally dead. Um, so, yeah, you should, they should, whoever, who's hosting it this year, do you know? It's, uh, Hugh Jackman. Oh, really? Wow, I was kind of yeah, dark about Yeah, Song that. and Dance Man. So, uh, Hugh Jackman should, before that, the obituary clip should say, please, out of respect for the dearly departed, hold your, uh, you know, applause till the end. Or it should just be silent. Isn't that what's traditionally during when somebody passes away, you give them a moment of silence? Why it should be the same for this? Yeah. So. But sometimes being dead is a real cool hand to have. That's true. And uh, good old cool hand Luke, like I said, he's probably going to get the biggest applause when his image comes on there. So, But uh, he was a class guy, He did, and I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I mean, I'm a huge... 
uh, Paul Newman fan. So I love Newman. I love his. I love his salad dressing. I love his movies. I love race cars. I love everything about that guy. Yeah, and I'm sure when they play his little sound bite, I'll get a little you know misty, and a single tear will fall down my cheek. So, but all in all, what, I, which which clip which clip do you think they'll play for Newman? Um, I hmm, that's a good one. I so you don't even you don't even have to identify the clip. Identify the movie. Identify the movie. I think yeah. they will definitely do. I think they'll do Cool Hand Luke. Um, I think they'll do a couple. I think they'll do Cool Hand Luke. Uh, maybe Butch Cassidy. Um, and I don't know the Sting. What do you think they'll do? I would say Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Brick. Uh, fur? Yeah, right. Uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Nobody's Fool. And The Verdict. <laughs> the Verdict, just to represent some of his later work. Um, yeah. All right. You want to put a little side bet on that? <laughs> you want to get some action? I'll put a side bet on it. You want to put a little side bit on yeah. it? Okay, let's just say, okay, let's throw Go. Cool Hand... Cool Hand Luke we're throwing out, because we know they're, they're probably going to do Cool Hand Luke. Um, yeah. So we're throwing that one out. Uh, but Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, you say Cat on the Hot Tin Roof, and I'll say Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. If they show... Okay. Um, if they show... Uh, Butch Cassidy. And oh, wait, but you had, you had you had two others, right? Yeah. You you said you said uh. And I Butch also Cassidy, said the Sting. The sting and, okay, th- so I'm saying Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and the verdict. The verdict. Okay. If they show any of those. Right, and let's say if they show both, like if they show Butch Cassidy and they show um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, they cancel each other out. But if they show the Sting and they don't show the verdict, I win. Gotcha. Yes? Okay, and the bet. Yeah, the bet's got to be for a Paul Newman movie. So, okay, I will take. Uh, he did a movie. I forget the name of it now. Where he was a he played an Indian bastard, and they were on a stage. I think it's called Hondo. Or yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it's called, right? Okay, that's what I want. I want yeah. Hondo. And what do you want? Okay, uh, I will take. The verdict. The verdict. Okay, then that's it. Everybody, uh, you are witnesses. Um, the bet is for the, if I win, I get Hondo, and if Emery wins, he gets the verdict. I'm still waiting for my copy of The Godfather Part Three, by the way. There, Emery. It's 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 on my tab. Okay. Um. So you know, it's funny. I was in Hollywood last night. I went to go see a friend of mine. He was in a play. He they did a. Uh, a stage adaptation of uh, Reservoir Dogs by Quentin Tarantino, and we had to drive by to get to the theater he was at. We had to drive by the Kodak Theater, and they've got the you know they've got the tents up, and they've got the red carpet out, and the bleachers, and uh, you know that whole spectacle um, getting all set up. And I thought you know it might be kind of cool to go down and see the Oscars. And I was like, no, because then all you're gonna do is watch a bunch of famos, and you know. Watch them in their fancy gowns and listen to a bunch of girls screaming, you know, when uh, Leo comes out and things like that. But uh, have you ever thought? We get jobs as seat fillers next year. What's that? A seat filler. A seat filler? 
Do they? Is that a? How much yeah. does that pay? Uh, it's probably like fifty bucks. And you have to stay there for how long? Like two nights to to hold the seat, or is it just to make sure? No, a seat filler. It's it's when uh like there's a commercial break or or a break in the uh in the programming and people get up out of their seats to go get a drink or use the bathroom, they get seat fillers to put them in those seats to make the auditorium not look empty. But to always look full? Really? I did not know that. And so the, when the people come back, you get up and, what, do you just, is there a, a room that all the seat fillers just hang out in? Yeah, there's like there's like a corral. There's a, a little corral there. Oh, I was not aware of that. Wow, how do you apply for that job? I will make a call. I guess you have to piss somebody off. Yeah, you might have to piss somebody off to get that job. Uh, would you like want to? Uh, I'll have to admit, when I was younger, and like I really, you know, when I watched my first few Oscar telecasts and really started getting into movies, I always fantasized about what it would be like to be on stage to and accept your first Academy Award. And I'm sure you've had that same fantasy, or am I wrong? Practicing your speech in the mirror, you know, how who you're going to thank, who you're not going to thank. Have you ever had that fantasy? I, I, I've never dreamt of who I would think. I've often fantasized about who I would blame for not <laughs> helping me win enough. So, you're, so, in if you were to win an Oscar, you would go up there and make a list of people to blame for almost not, for almost causing my movie not to get made. Like I wouldn't like to not thank Warner Brothers for not buying my. Well, it would, it would basically be, I would go back really far, and it would start with me saying, thanks for nothing to David Lewis, my eighth grade math teacher. <laughs> thanks for telling me I would amount to nothing. That would actually be, yeah. I, I think that would be a cool acceptance speech. I think that acceptance speech would be posted on YouTube and viewed over a million times. And that would be, <laughs> that would be your defining career. If you never did anything else in your career... And people didn't know, realize who you are. They'd be like, "Yeah, do you remember, you know, um, Aaron Emery? And he won the screenplay, for, or he won the Academy Award for that screenplay he did about uh, fetish porn in, in Japan." And people be like, "No, I don't remember that." It'd be like, "Well, he's the guy who who did the speech on YouTube where he didn't thank everyone." They're like, "Oh yeah, I remember him." So you would be, you would go down in infamy as that guy, and so, you know, that would be your career. You wouldn't have to do anything else if you made a speech like that. So that I, seems pretty involved to know. to gain internet notoriety. Well, I think it's worth it. I think it's well worth it. I think you need to write this award-winning screenplay now just so you can make that speech and have it posted on YouTube. That sh- that should be your motivating factor of why you're writing. So the you Troy can- Dodd story. Yes. Final drafts. <laughs> February eighteenth, two thousand nine. Revision one. It would be awesome. <laughs> but, uh... It would probably get uh, by Robert Town or Tom Stoppard anyway, so... And just to let everybody know, I am still practicing my Oscar speech in the mirror every morning. And, uh, it's going quite well. So, I don't think you'll be on it yet, Emery, but maybe you'll make the list soon. We'll see. So, any other, uh... Movie-related things you want to talk about? Is there any anything out there that you're interested in seeing? Actually, we're less than a month away from Watchmen. How do you you getting yeah. fast? 
Super excited. Super excited. It's it's actually funny. You and I were texting back and forth earlier today about maybe going to see a movie. And, and I, didn't I liked the idea in theory of going to see a movie today. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, Jesus, I, there are no movies I really want to see. Yeah, I remember when you were asking, you text me like, "What?" and I was like, "God, what? What would I see?" The main reason I wanted to go is because I just I haven't seen a movie in a couple of weeks, and I thought, "Oh, you know, I would." I was thinking of maybe I should watch one of the best picture that I haven't seen yet, you know, before the Oscars come out, and that's why you know I texted you Button or um, Milk, but I wasn't really jazzed to see those either. I thought, well, you know, I'm not too terribly excited to see that. Um, Benjamin Button mainly because it's been getting kind of mixed reviews, but I mean I still would kind of like to see it on the big screen. And then Harvey Milk, somebody told me is like, well, you know, you can see it just as well on a DVD. It's not worth the the twelve bucks for going to the movie theater. But Watchmen, I mean, I think that's going to be a definite midnight show. Um, I have to see it. I am a big fan of going to the early midnight show. You know, the first show, if you go 11.59, you can see, or the 12.01 show. Um, I used to not like going to see that because it was always crowded. A lot of times I wanted to find falling asleep. But ever since moving out here and at the Arclight, I'm a big fan of the midnight show. So, uh, As am I. As am I. Yes. Except for the time, um, the funny story about the Hellboy 2 midnight show, which is... Uh, should I tell people about that story? Do you remember? Uh, it's completely at your discretion. As I recall, you took pretty, a young lady to dinner it's uh, a, at P.F. Chang's, a lovely dinner at P.F. Chang's. Well, it was, most, it was just drinks. And then uh, the we had made, we were going to go see the show at the Arclight. Um, actually, our friend Stephanie had told us that there was going to be a special midnight well, the special screening at the Arclight, and uh, Guillermo del Toro was going to present the movie. He was going to, you know, just talk a little bit about the movie before. And I was jazzed. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Um, you know, Guillermo del Toro, I'm looking for. I love Guillermo del Toro. Looking forward to the Hellboy 2 movie. Uh, so this is going to be great. We got our tickets like a couple of weeks in advance. Looking forward to the, the movie. I thought, oh, yeah, this is just going to be excellent. It's going to be awesome. So then, um, but that evening, prior to the show, I was going to meet with you and Stephanie up at the Arclight Bar, which is the greatest thing about the Midnight Show and the Arclight is that you can go up to the bar and have a drink before the movie. But I met a friend of mine down at P.F. Chang's, which was downstairs in the Galleria, and we had a few drinks there. You know, and then I told her in the middle of the drink, said, hey, you know, I'm going up to see a movie, we're going to go... You know, it's Hellboy 2, and, you know, she was making fun. She's like, why do you want to see that movie? It's, you know, it's Hellboy 2, and I can't believe you're, you're making a big deal of this. I was like, oh, you don't understand. Guillermo del Toro is going to be there, and I'm psyched. I'm, you know, that's the biggest thing about this. I just want to hear him talk about the movie, and, you know, because I love his work, Pan's Labyrinth. I thought it was great. Uh, the Devil's Backbone. I just, you know, I love the guy. Um, so, uh, you know, I had a couple of drinks down there, and then, I told her, "Hey, let's you know you can come up, you can meet my friends, and you know we can have another drink up at the uh, the ArcLight Bar." So she agreed. We're up there, and uh, you guys—I don't know—you guys had been up there for a while because you were texting me while I was having drinks, saying, "Where was I?" Da da da. 
And <laughs> um, so we go up there and we have what, like another drink before we go into the show. And once again, you know, yeah. it, and my friend was actually saying, she's like, you know, you should just skip the movie. So like, I can't believe you're going to watch this. And um, I was like, no, no, I'm definitely, this is, I've been looking forward to this. This is, you know, I'm jazz. I really want to see this. So I think we waited until like a minute before we actually had to be in there. And uh, so my friend left and then we all proceed into the theater and, you know, I'm, I'm jazzed. I'm still jazzed. But by this point, I've had about maybe four drinks. Um, and, of course, you know, I think I was drinking bourbon that night, Maker's Marks on the Rocks. So I was kind of feeling the effects. Not too bad. But we get in our seats, and we have great seats. And then the the theater staff introduces Guillermo del Toro, and I'm psyched. I'm like, yeah, you know, clapping and really excited to hear him talk. And he comes out and he talks, and I thought, this is great. This is awesome. And, uh, you know, he says this a little bit about the movie. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm really jazzed now. The movie starts, you know, and had that cool little animated sequence, and I was thinking this movie's just going to be awesome. Fantastic. And um, half an hour in, do you want to finish the story there, Emery? I look over to my right, and old man Troy has doubled over. He's sawing logs. It's it's lights out. It's ball game for Troy. Yes, I fell asleep during this movie that I was so jazzed to see. Yeah, I uh, I woke up. I fell asleep like half an hour into it, and then I woke up. I think you know maybe a half hour, forty five minutes later. So there was about half an hour left to go. And I remember waking up, you know, after my little nap and thinking, holy shit, I cannot believe I fell asleep. You know, and I really, I was trying to follow what was going on and, you know, and I was still kind of in a little bit of a a buzz, haze, and uh, I was just so upset with myself. I couldn't believe it. I remember looking over (laughs) at you and and Stephanie, and I think Matt was there too, wondering, I wonder if they saw me sleeping here. (laughs) So... (laughs) And then I remember after the movie when it let out, you guys were talking about it, and you're like, yeah, what did you what did you think, Troy? And I remember just kind of like sheepishly looking down and saying, uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you at least at least uh, after we saw Hellboy 2, you actually stayed around to discuss what you remembered of the movie. Unlike when we saw uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of My Ruined Childhood... <laughs> Where immediately after the movie, you were so angry and upset that you walked out and went home without telling anybody, and everybody stayed around waiting for you to come out of the theater, of which you never came because you didn't tell us that you were going home. Yes, uh, I, I admit that was a uh, a pretty sheepish move on my part, um, but I was so upset with that movie, and I knew, and that this is. I knew they were, you guys were going to want to talk about it. And I just – I couldn't form the words. I was so upset at – because I had been looking forward to that Indiana Jones movie for 20 years. You know, close – I was just excited. And when the trailers were coming out, I even got more excited. And, and God, when it just – when the movie was unfolding before my eyes, I just was sitting there in utter disbelief. And I was like, this cannot be what I've waited 20 years to see. And I think the real kicker for me was when Shia LaBeouf was swinging through the trees like Tarzan. I just, at that point, I don't think I even remember the, the last part of the movie. 
And uh, I was. I was just so disgusted. And I knew I didn't want to discuss the movie. I thought, I, I, I don't even want to talk about this. Because I was afraid, and sure enough, there was somebody in our group, but I was afraid somebody was going to like it, and I would have to kill that person. So um, I did a, a foppish thing and went straight home. So, and I forget, did I meet you guys there, or did somebody bring me there? Because, uh, as you know, I'm with Real classy. I yeah. think I think DJ gave you a ride because yeah. I ended up waiting around with DJ, waiting for you to come out of a theater. Then we went back into the theater. It was completely empty. You owe me 15 minutes of my life back. Yeah, not, not a class move, I admit. But you know, I am. Not, but in retrospect, I am glad because DJ did like the movie, and so I would have had to have killed him. You know, if I he would have <laughs> told me as soon as we got out of the theater that he liked it. So, but you know, my. Uh, homicidal urges given some time, 24 hours, when he told me he liked it, they they had pretty much um, eased off, and I wasn't forced to choke him to within an inch of his life. And I still cannot believe he liked that movie. No, but Watchmen, midnight showing, I swear I'm not going to fall asleep, and I just hope, once again, a lot of hype with this movie, but, you know, I'm putting my faith in my my... You know, $12 in Zack Snyder's hands and just saying, you know, I, I have faith in you and I know this is going to be a good movie. So please don't disappoint. Please, Watchmen Gods, look over me. But I am excited. I even want to see it in IMAX. Do you like to see movies in IMAX? Uh, not especially, no. No? Did you see The Dark Knight in IMAX? I did not. Uh, the last movie I saw in IMAX was the Mount Everest movie which I was totally okay with watching in IMAX. Yeah, well, that's like a, you know, the, you know, when IMAX first came out, that's what all you could see was those special, like, documentaries where you had to go to the Science Center. Right. And, uh, you know, you would see. And it was cool because it was a grand spectacle, you know. Especially a movie like that. You you, you want to take in the whole train. Uh, you Pink wanna... Floyd, it's the wall, watch the laser light show. <laughs> exactly. Um... But now that IMAX has kind of moved into the mainstream, and now they're you know they're formatting uh, movies, you know regular commercial movies in the IMAX format. It's uh, I don't know. I I think it still needs to be a special event type of movie for me to see it in IMAX. And Batman was I remember the first IMAX first commercial movie I saw in IMAX was. Well, I was going to actually ask you if you wanted to go see Kramer versus Kramer in IMAX this weekend. Oh, yes, because I want to see Meryl Streep's big, uh, teary face in, on a 33-story <laughs> screen. Yes. Um, but uh, the first movie I think I saw in IMAX, and it wasn't a movie made in the IMAX format. It was just formatted afterwards, was, I think, Beauty and the Beast, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. And then I saw uh, Star Wars Attack of the Clones in IMAX, which that was just a big mistake on my part because then I just saw a crappy movie on a three-story high screen. So that just increased my uh, – it just made the, the movie three stories worse, three-story high worse. Um, but I think I'm going to see the midnight showing of The Watchmen, and if I enjoy it, I will see it in IMAX because I think he did shoot – much like Christopher Nolan, he did shoot some scenes in the IMAX format. Even though Dark Knight wasn't, all of it was in IMAX, it was incredible that the scenes that they did have in the IMAX, I, I, I enjoyed it, you know. the It was mostly a lot of the exterior city scenes, like the opening sequence with the, the bank heist, 
right. then when they went to Hong Kong, the uh, the exterior scenes when he's on the outside of the building was in IMAX, and it, and it was quite breathtaking. Um, you know, I'm sure it's not like the Mount Everest movie in IMAX or uh, uh, some of those under you know those deep sea shark documentaries that they have in IMAX, but um, I don't know. I think the the studios are trying to lure people in, you know, and get them to repeat, you know, to to buy a second viewing. And if they say, hey, you can also see. Well, it but you have to add spectacle to the theater going experience, uh, which is why 3D and IMAX are are really hot button uh, issues right now, just because with the advent of, of HD televisions and Blu-ray players, uh, it's not a whole lot more expensive to watch movies in your living room with you and one other person than it is to pay and go sit in a dirty theater with 500 other people. So right. trying to add another dimension to the experience like IMAX and 3D and that, and uh, Chicken Fingers, like you can get at a Magic Johnson's theater, uh, <laughs> is really supposed to be able to get people to to, go, to to come to the theater. Well, they are definitely pushing the 3D. I mean, I think there's... I mean, Coraline is out in 3D now. You can see that they've got the Monsters vs. Aliens, which they even showed the the Super Bowl spot in 3D. I mean, they are really pushing this, and I... You know, I mean, if the studios, if that's what it takes for them to get people to come out and, you know, to have multiple viewings of a movie. But it, it's got to be, like you said, it's got to be a spectacle event movie. I don't know if Monsters vs. Aliens warrants, you know, that. Um, Coraline, you know, maybe. Uh, but definitely The Watchmen. Or Watchmen. I've been saying The I'm Watchmen. not going to go see the movie in until they remake Captain EO. <laughs> That was a. Uh, I must admit that Kanye, was a very Kanye West. That was an enjoyable experience at Disneyland. Was going to see Captain EO, that Michael Jackson spectacle. The well, do you remember at Disneyland where there was a theater where they had the screens that went all the way around? It was like 360, and they would have you would go in and they'd have yeah. these handrails that you had to hold on to, or else you'd fall over on your face because you know the motion was so realistic. And uh, I do I thought, remember that. It was I, awesome. Yeah, I thought that was awesome, and a lot of it was just like they would have a flyover of like the Grand Canyon, or you know they would you they would fly you towards the uh, the uh, the presidential monument at, in South Dakota uh, where they have the the faces carved in the mountain. What's that called? Rushmore. Mount Rushmore, exactly. I should know that the North by Northwest Jesus. scene. Freaking public school in Hawaii did you love it? Freaking brain fart. That's all. But. Um, you know, and and that was really cool. I, you know, I used to remember like that motion. And I thought, oh, this is cool. This is, you know, and I think at that time that was the pinnacle. That was kind of like the early, um, you know, like Star Tours ride and the early Back to the Future ride was kind of based on that. Even though the floor didn't really move, it's just the fact that the screens were in 3D and they were so big, it just fooled you into thinking there was that motion going on. Yeah. And I remember when I saw... It's enough to make you puke, for sure. Yeah, when I saw Empire Strikes Back for the first time, I saw it in the theater, and I saw it at the Cinerama Dome in... Well, it wasn't the Dome. I saw it in, on a Cinerama screen, which is curved. And that scene during um, when they're on the ice planet Hoth, and uh, the they're looking for Luke or, and Han Solo, and... Uh, 
I forget who it is that finds him, but he's kind of like skimming over the mountaintops, you know, and, and you've got the snow-covered mountaintops, and he's skimming over it. And I remember that on a curved screen, which was big, was giving me a little bit, you know, you could sense the motion, and I thought, well, this is awesome. They should make a ride out of this. And what do you know, Star Tours came out not too much later. So I think George Lucas was channeling me at that moment. What else? What else is coming out that you uh, are interested in? Or any other topics that you... Uh, Want to discuss now, Emery? Uh, I wanted to touch really quick on uh, someone very near and dear to my heart and has been for a number of years, Mr. Conan O'Brien. If you didn't know, he is on a countdown to his last uh, late night with Conan O'Brien. I think they're five shows away from... Uh, from the end, his transplant to the West Coast. Yeah, you know it, it's it's interesting that you say the countdown for Conan O'Brien and not really the countdown for Jay Leno because it's the end of his days on the Tonight Show, and you would think that's a bigger deal. Not the fact that Conan O'Brien is going to the Tonight Show, but the fact that Jay Leno is leaving the Tonight Show. You would think that's a bigger event. It's a bigger deal for me because I don't give a shit about Jay Leno. I mean, I think he's a nice guy, but. I think his humor is contrived and unfunny, and he's still making jokes about... uh, Literally, I watched an episode of The Tonight Show three nights ago with Kevin Bacon, and he made a Monica Lewinsky joke. I swear to God. No, he didn't really. He made a joke that that is 11 years removed from being current. I think all of his brains are just starting to slowly drip into his chin. Well, you either have to have the big chin of Jay Leno or the big quaff of uh, Conan O'Brien. So, But you're excited that he's going over to The Tonight Show, huh? You think he's going to be able to breathe new life? He's going to give it a new vigor, a new flavor to the show? What do you... I, I, well, I hope so. I, I hope the people that have always liked his shtick on uh, Late Night follow him to The Tonight Show. And I like... Uh, I, I hope that uh, all the people who have to go to bed at 11.30 or, you know, whenever, watch Conan. Because I think Conan is so far more talented uh, in every aspect uh, than Jay Leno. I think he's funnier in improv. I think his bits are better written. Uh, he still adheres to sketches, which Jay gave up a long time ago. He pretty much just does jaywalking and headlines he doesn't do any sketches like johnny carson used to do right he's a superior interviewer he's more knowledgeable he's he's more into the pop culture and he's just generally not a, a freaking weirdo douche like jay leno is um when's i mean do you still regularly watch the late late show the late show when's the last late night, night. uh yes late i do night. See, oh, I didn't even think you watched that show. I haven't seen Late Night. I mean, I don't watch much Late Night TV anyway. But I haven't seen The Tonight Show in, gosh, it's probably been five or six years. And the, you know, the Late Night Show in probably the same amount of time. I remember the big deal when Conan O'Brien first came to the show that nobody knew who he was. You know, they're like, who is this guy? And um, he was replacing you know, David Letterman in that time slot. And I remember thinking, well, who is this guy? Is he? And then, you know, he has that, that funny hairstyle. And, uh, you know, I think back then his main, his main claim to fame was the fact, you know, he was a staff writer on the Simpsons. And, um, 
but you know, I did enjoy. I thought, oh, you know, he's funny. You're right. He had some good skits. I think uh, in the early days, who's was it? Andy Richter that was his co-host in the early days. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, and they had a good uh, bond. You know, they they seemed to feed off each other pretty well. Um, actually, Andy Richter was in the restaurant uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was funny. One of the other servers asked me, he's like, she looks familiar. I was like, yeah, that's Andy Richter. And uh, she said, oh, what what do I know him from? And I said, well, probably, you know, he used to be on Conan O'Brien's show. And uh, she's like, who's Conan O'Brien? I said, forget it. So, (laughs) (laughs) these young people, I swear. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I might have to give him a shot and, and check out his debut uh, show on The Tonight Show. and uh, But you also told me that Jay Leno is going to another show, correct? He's not retiring? No, he's going to an earlier time slot. He's, just, he's giving up The Tonight Show banner, and he's going to a show that starts at like 10 o'clock. What is that, Deal or No Deal? He's, he's going to start doing game shows? Yeah, he's, he's going to hold one of the briefcases with his huge face. <laughs> I might pay to see that. So, well, so what's the countdown? Is there what's the countdown clock at? Well, Conan has five shows left, but then there's going to be a month or a month and a half between the last show of Late Night and the first show of the new Tonight Show. Hmm. And uh, maybe they'll ha- we'll have to have a viewing party or something and uh, check it out. No, that's too late at night. We can't do that. Um, what about for the Oscars? Are you going to have a viewing party for that? Are you going to, or do you like do you like to watch the Oscars with a bunch of people, or do you like to watch it, you know, solo? Do you like? I that? did that once a couple years ago. We had a bunch of people over, and we did pools and like pick sheets, and everybody threw in some money and had like the scorecard thing, and we had snacks, uh, just the the full on sort of Oscar party, and I didn't really like it because. It seemed like everybody thought that they were entitled to make snide remarks uh, about every single aspect of the telecast, and it, it was basically like watching the, the telecast with ten people who thought that they should be on Mystery Science Theater 3000, but <laughs> wouldn't have even made it past the first part of the tryout to be on that show. Right. So to answer your question, I like to watch them with myself or just with another person. So you like to keep it intimate. And, I, and I'm the same way. I mean, I do, I have had some viewing, you know, gone to some viewing parties. Um, I've hosted a viewing parties. But I think now I, I do enjoy to, you know, to have it a little bit more intimate myself or, or maybe one other person. And plus the fact, I just don't want anybody to see me crying during the obituary segment uh, of the show. So um, I don't like people to know that I have emotions. And that I am not the robot. We'll have to uh, see if this year's Oscars is going to be worth it. If there's going to be uh, any controversy, anything uh, um, you know worth talking about the next day. I think it's going to be a rather boring show in the fact that it looks like Slumdog Millionaire is just going to run away with everything. I mean, it's winning every other award right now. So I think there's going to be no suspense in the... Best picture, I think uh, some dogs just going to run away with it, which I know doesn't make you that happy. I I don't know if I'm that thrilled about it. I mean, I enjoyed the movie, but best picture, yeah, it's uh, I don't think it's going to be it's deserving of it. But well, we shall see. 
Yes, on Sunday. This Sunday. ABC. On. I think ABC should pay us for that plug for the Oscar telecast. So, um, well, they probably I think, should. Yes, I think we're going to call it a wrap for this week's podcast, Emery. Yeah, if, if I don't see you before the Oscars, have a lovely time. I'm sure I will see you. Yeah, because I I think I'll see you tomorrow. Even I'll be wearing my I'll be the guy in the apron and the the black cap. Okay, and uh, some of you won't know what that's referring to, but some of you may. So anyway, until next week, Emery. Uh, I will talk to you then. Enjoy your intimate Oscar podcast or Oscar telecast. I'm sorry. And uh, talk to you later. Say bye. Good night. All right, Troy. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Yes, leave comments. Leave comments on iTunes. Leave comments on the webpage. Leave, leave comments. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Random Show with Troy and Emery. Please visit our webpage at www.randomtroyshow.wordpress.com where you can find our contact information and download past episodes. You can also listen to the podcast by subscribing in iTunes. Music for The Random Show with Troy and Emery by Champions of the Universe. This has been a Without Borders production.